Amen. Have you known God to be a good father? He's such a good father. He's so faithful. Have you known yourself to be loved by him? Because you are deeply and passionately. Uh, thank you for leading us in that song. And also, can you say thank you to the men and, and sons and fathers who led us in praise? Such a, such a blessing as we were meeting ahead of the service to, to just go through those songs to hear the voice of men singing the truth of God's word. I hope we appreciate that. And I also would, would pray that God would be stirring some of your hearts to join in our praise and music ministry, to maybe be a part of our choir. We would love to see a consistent growth of men praising Jesus and leading us to praise Jesus in song as well. So thank you, men, for doing that. Really so appreciate that. If you would take your Bibles and, and open them, go ahead and open them to Isaiah 41. Isaiah 41. And as you're opening your Bibles, I want to dismiss our kids to kids worship. So first through fourth grade, if you've already been checked in, go ahead and send your kids to their drop-off points in the second and first floor here. If you haven't checked your children in to kids worship, go ahead and accompany them over to those signs and over to our leaders so that they can know that your children are coming and, uh, and, and hopefully they can deliver them back to you. Uh, no, they will for sure have a great time. So kids, if you would go ahead and be dismissed to kids worship. We're so grateful for those who serve in that area of ministry. And certainly, again, if God's calling you to be a part of that type of ministry, feel free to call Pastor Brian and be a part of our ministry to children. Um, as Emily and I prepared to go on vacation, some of you know that we were out of town. Some of you came to church last week and didn't even notice that we weren't here. But uh, we, we, uh, um, we packed up our stuff and, and two Sundays ago, we headed out to North Carolina, uh, right there at the, the, the beginning of, of our vacation. It was a Sunday afternoon. We were driving to North Carolina. We stay up there each year and are so blessed to be able to do that. Um, and, and so thankful for you to allow us to do that as a church family. But on our way up around Jacksonville, we, we had our phones and they were just kind of resting there in the car as we were driving. And, they, and both of our phones started to, to hit this alarm. This thing started to to, to alarm on our phones and neither of us had set our alarms but both of them started to buzz and it was a weather alert a severe weather warning came across our phones we saw we were heading into uh, a, a storm or some rain ahead of us and I was kind of you know white knuckling it already in the rain but then our phones started with this alert they were tracking they could see our location um, the, the, the weather services and and this this alarm came across and the alarm said this take shelter now tornado warning in your vicinity, in your area. And, um, and the, then something else took place and it wasn't an alarm. It was me screaming at the top of my legs. No, it, it was this feeling of panic over me. There I was driving in a place where I am not at all familiar. I mean, we don't go to Jacksonville hardly ever unless we're going through Jacksonville. And isn't that everybody's sake? No, I'm just kidding. We just zipped right through there. But I'm there on the interstate and I've got my wife, my three kids in the van with me and, and just, I feel panicked. I, where, where do you go? I'm, I'm, I'm in the middle of the interstate. I'm driving down a highway. I don't know where to pull over or where to go. And, and I'm praying just immediately right there in that panic. God, show me what to do. God, what do I do? I don't know whether I'm driving right into it or away from it or, or where it is. And, and so right in the middle of that, there was a way station right there off the highway. And, and so Emily and I, we, we drove off. And when I say Emily and I, I was driving. She was telling me where to go. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. So we pull off there that way station. And the whole time I'm just praying, I feel this sense 
sense in me, the sense of panic, the sense of fearfulness, the sense of urgency, uh, and, and it just swept into my heart. And I was thinking about that in preparation for this morning because I realized that fear is a, is a very real part of our lives. Um, many of us live in what feels like a perpetual storm. Your, your life feels like you're driving a car down a highway and you're, you're facing a tornado. You don't know where to go. You don't know what to do. You don't know where to seek shelter. You don't know what's coming up next. You don't know if you're actually leaving the storm or entering it. You're just upside down in life and your life feels like a perpetual storm. For others, you feel more like a person who's journeying through life and every now and then you journey into this unexpected dark cloud that just descends over your life and, and we know fear is a part of our lives. And about a month ago, as I was preparing for uh, this time of, of teaching for Father's Day, God laid Isaiah 41 on my heart uh, to teach for our fathers that we would live as men who are fearless in our homes. And I felt like there was a, this unspoken thing among us where men don't like to talk about their fears or they don't like to admit their fears, but men are as trapped in fear as women are trapped in fear. We may express it differently, but I felt so led to address the fearfulness that is in the lives of men and that we would be fathers who live without fear. And then last Sunday, an event occurred in our community that really solidified in my heart why God had actually laid Isaiah 41 in my mind. Uh, the events in Orlando, those absolutely tragic events that took place, 49 people killed by a violent act of a hateful, godless man, many others injured, now dozens and dozens more critically injured, families who are without a loved one today and a, a, an entire community, a, an entire nation gripped in, in fear. And the word of God for us is so powerful from Isaiah 41 because Isaiah 41 is God telling his people how they can live without fear, how we can live our lives. Do you hear me on this? God does not want his children to live in fear. The will of God for your life is not that you would live cowering in fear as you're encountering the storms of life, as you're encountering the disasters of our world. That's not God's will for your life if you are his child. His child is that you would live in fearlessness. And for us to make a dent in this culture that we're living in that's gripped by fear, we have to become people who learn how to live in a fearlessness that is based in a faithfulness that's found in the word of God. And so I want us to pray this morning that God would speak so clearly out of his word that he would cause our hearts to be freed from fear, but he also would do more than that, that he would send us out of this room on mission into a community that's gripped by fear. Like many of you, as you, I heard the news, we were, we were out of cell phone coverage where we go in North Carolina, our cell phones don't work. That's why we go there. No, that's, that's not why we go there, but they don't work. We, we, we set those aside. We don't watch much television uh, at all while we're up there. We were totally isolated from news, and it wasn't until later on in the day that we even heard that there was a tragedy. And like many of you, I found it really hard to sleep that night, just praying for those victims' families for those surviving victims, for those individuals, praying for the body of Christ to respond appropriately, that we would respond like Jesus would call us to respond. And, and this morning, I want us to pray that God would do more than just liberate our hearts from fear, that he would send us out as a fearless army into this world, 
that we would go out into our neighborhoods and into our workplaces and we would live so dramatically different with peop- as people of hope and peace and joy and love that the, the, the power of the Holy Spirit would enable us to see captives released from their fear. So would you join me in praying for ourselves this morning? And would we pray especially for those who have been affected by the events that took place in Orlando, those individuals whose lives have been turned upside down by a violent, tragic act. Let's pray. And as I'm praying, just pray as the Holy Spirit leads you. Father, we thank you that we don't have to live in fear. We thank you that Christ has made a way for us to be liberated from the prison of fearfulness. And Lord, I ask that you would do a deep work in our hearts today. I know there are people in this room who are absolutely gripped with a terror that has been a part of their life for years. That there are people in this room who watch so much network news, they hear so many politicians, they talk to so many community members that cry out the tragic, terrible nature of the world we live in so frequently that they cannot hear the sound of anything but terror and fear and panic. God, I pray you'd release us from that. God, would you enable us to live as fearless men and women, not because, not because we've denied the truth of our problems, but because we've embraced the very power of Almighty God. And Lord, I pray for our community, for our nation. Father, I pray for those whose lives have been absolutely destroyed. God, I pray for the mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters and friends of those who were killed last week. God, would you give grace to their hearts to know the truth of Jesus? God, would you comfort them with a comfort that only comes from you? It won't be found anywhere else. It won't be found anywhere else, Father. God, would you cause your church to be raised up? May the body of Christ respond appropriately to these tragic events. God, may we stand in the truth of your word and may we live lives that are filled with love and joy and peace and kindness and gentleness. May the gospel of Christ inform how we live toward those around us. And God, I pray that we would say the gospel of Jesus boldly in this day. Father, we we are surrounded by people that our hearts are broken by, who don't know their right hand from their left, who don't know up from down. Father, who do not have any source, any true lasting source of hope, and they they are absolutely terrified. God, we want the gospel to go to them. We want the good news of Jesus to change them. God, we want them to be transformed into sons and daughters of the Most High God. We want them to be liberated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of your dear Son. Father, we want them to become children of the light and not darkness. And Father, we're asking you, would you use us to take the love of Jesus Christ to them? Would you help us to be a clarifying voice in a very confusing world? God, we ask you to do it. And Lord, we know we're not the only church that's a part of this. And I pray for the churches of Jesus in this community and around this country to respond with Holy Spirit power and compassion. God, I pray for the churches of Merritt Island, for Pastor Bob Arthur's just down the street, that he would preach the gospel of Jesus, know and love and live and share the gospel, and you'd use him as your hands and feet, and the people of God there as his, part of his fellowship as your hands and feet. 
to transform this community, Lord. I pray you would do it. And Lord, I ask that in these moments that follow, you would use your word to change and transform our hearts, that we would be more like Christ, that we would live in the freedom you have for us in Jesus, and we would not be afraid today. We ask it in Jesus' name and all of God's people say, amen, amen. So there you are in Isaiah 41. Before we read this text, I wanna give you just a little bit of background. I haven't been teaching from Isaiah, so I don't wanna just drop in the middle of this book without you having an idea. Isaiah was a prophet who was used by God. He lived about 700 years before Jesus was born and he prophesied to the people of God who were part of God's people, God's nation, the Jews. And as he prophesied to these individuals, he did a couple of things. He prophesied about direct, immediate events that were taking place in his lifetime and in his day. He, he declared, thus saith the Lord, or the word of God to the people who were around him about the events that were taking place around him and them. He also prophesied about about future events, things that would take place in the future. So for instance, Isaiah is filled with prophetic words about Jesus Christ. Probably the most notable passage uh, like that is Isaiah 53 that describes the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. He was bruised for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquity. The chastisement that brought us peace was upon him. By his wounds, by his stripes, we are healed. That was Isaiah writing 700 years before Jesus was born. So this future or oriented prophecies that Isaiah gives. And the passage of scripture that we're going to read this morning and study is one of those future-oriented passages. Uh, It it occurs uh, about a hundred years after Isaiah writes it down. And and here's what he's talking about, just so you'll have a little awareness. He had already told the people of God that they would be taken into exile because of their rebellion against God. And so the nation of Babylon comes, they take God's people in exile as part of God's discipline to his kids and they're in exile in Babylon and while they're in exile in Babylon about a hundred years after Isaiah had written this down there's another world leader that emerges on the scene his name is Cyrus he was the king of Persia and he's this unbelievably powerful leader he has no losses in his military record to this point and he comes on the scene and he starts destroying all of these other nations as a matter of fact he is so successful that all the nations who hear about Cyrus king of Persia just tremble in fear. They're living gripped in fear because this unstoppable military violent force is coming on their scene and no one has been able to do a single thing to stop him. And Isaiah is prophesying about that. He's prophesying about Cyrus. He doesn't mention Cyrus by name until Isaiah 44, so just a couple more chapters down the road, but he's talking about Cyrus here. And there is a message to the people of God. And remember, these are people who are in captivity, who are going to be hearing about this guy who's coming and destroying all the nations. They're already held captive. They're now facing another destroying or destructive force that's coming on the scene. And God has a word for his people in that moment. You don't need to be afraid. You don't need to be afraid. Now let's read together Isaiah 41, 1 through 10. Listen to me in silence, O coastlands. And he's talking to the nations there in that Mediterranean regions, they're the coastlands. Let the peoples renew their strength. Let them approach, then let them speak. Let us together draw near for judgment. Who stirred up one from the east? 
whom victory meets at every step. This is Cyrus here, this this king. He gives up nations before him so that he tramples kings underfoot. He makes them, those other kings, like dust with his sword, like driven stubble with his bow. He pursues them and he passes on safely by paths his feet have not trod. Who has performed and done this, calling the generations from the beginning? Who did all this, he says? I The Lord, the first, and with the last, I am he. The coastlands have seen and are afraid. The ends of the earth tremble. They've drawn near and come. Everyone helps his neighbor and says to his brother, be strong. The craftsman strengthens the goldsmith. He who smooths with the hammer, him who strikes the anvil, saying of the soldering, it's good, it's good. And they strengthen it with nails so that it cannot be moved. But you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I've chosen, the Offspring of Abraham, my friend, you whom I took from the ends of the earth and called from its farthest corners, saying to you, you're my servant. I've chosen you and not cast you off. Here's what he says to his people. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. This is the word of God for you today. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed. I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. That's God's will for his people. They would be liberated, freed from fear. And in this passage, there are three things I want to show you, three primary things that God says to us, teaches us about why it is that we can live without fear. So let me just show you how God does that from this text. The first thing God does is this. He reminds us of his power over our problems, of his power over our problems. That's what God's doing in verses one through four. He starts off by talking to the nations. He says, hey, you coastlands, all of you nations there in this region. And here's what he says. Listen to me in silence. Shut your mouths. That's what he says. Come together for judgment. What God is doing in this verse of scripture, in this passage, is he's saying this. I am in authority over you. Listen to me, nations. Listen to me, you peoples of the earth who are trembling in fear and held fat captive. Listen to me. I am in authority over you. I am God Almighty. I am your judge. Shut your mouths and hear what I have to say. That's what he's saying. And then in verse two, God begins to talk about King Cyrus. And Isaiah doesn't mention him by name, but he does a few, a few chapters later. But he's talking about Cyrus here. And notice how God describes Cyrus here, starting in verse two. Victory meets him at every step. He tramples kings underfoot. He makes them like dust with a sword. He pursues the kings and the nations and is never threatened. Do you see that? That's like how God describes Cyrus. That's what they're up against. This is the thing that's on the horizon that's causing them fear. And I hope you notice what God's doing here. I love what he's doing here. God isn't minimizing the threat, is he? Well, when you read that, he's like, There's Cyrus is coming and no one on earth can stop him. You need to know that. No one has been able to stand up to him. No one has a plan that's actually effective. No one has the power to actually do this. God isn't, he he isn't minimizing their threat. He's not saying, listen, I'm sure Cyrus isn't as bad a dude as you've heard he is. He doesn't say, hey man, why don't you just take your mind off of that problem for a little while. It could potentially ruin your supper. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, let's not think about that right now. God doesn't do that. And you need to hear this. God never denies that your problems are real. 
And he never calls you to minimize how real your problem is. God doesn't call you to bury your head in the sand. God doesn't call you to surround yourself in a positive thinking bubble that refuses to acknowledge the issues that are going on in your life and in our world. God doesn't do that. He does something so much better than that. God points out he is stronger than any possible problem you could ever face. That's what he says here in verse four. Look what he says. Who has performed and done this? causing nations to be cast down and nations to rise up. Who's actually done that? Here's what he says. I, the Lord, the first and with the last, I am he. Do you hear what God's saying there? Here's what God's saying. Cyrus can't do a dad blame thing without me, without my allowing him to do it. I am almighty God. Who does Cyrus think he is? Who do you think Cyrus is? Who do you think I am? That's what God's saying here. I am God Almighty. I call out the generations from before the beginning of the world. I set up nations. I cast down nations. I am stronger than all of that. And Cyrus bows to me. I don't bow to him. That's what God is saying. And listen, as a matter of fact, and here's what we'll see later on, and we don't have time to read this, as terrible as Cyrus is, and as strong as Cyrus is, here's what we see in the rest of the biblical narrative and in historical context. Cyrus was a pawn in the great plan of God. Cyrus was the one that God used to release his people from captivity. Cyrus is the one who sent them back into the land to rebuild. Cyrus was the one who gave the decree for the people of Israel to be able to go back. The very thing that everyone was trembling about and so afraid of was the very thing Almighty God used to free his captive people. That's how strong God is. And here's what you need to hear. When God wants to liberate you from fear, When he wants to to free us from the panic in our hearts, he doesn't deny our problems. He reminds us that he's more powerful than anything we're facing. Listen, God is just plain bigger than any problem you are facing. God's stronger than our economy. God is stronger than your addiction. God's stronger than the pattern of sin in your life. He's stronger than the pattern of sin in your family's lives. He's stronger than your family of origin. He's stronger than the sicknesses that you're facing. He's stronger than the threat of violence of any force on earth. He's stronger than death itself. He is almighty God and there is nothing too hard for him. And before, listen, before I move on to the next point, I just want you to engage with this in your life. You have problems. And if you don't know you have problems, that's a problem, by the way. You have problems in your life. Don't ignore them. Don't deny them. Don't minimize them. Don't think they're going away on their own. Don't think you'll be okay if you just bury your head in the sand. If you are running from fear by trying to access the power of positive thinking and denial, what you're really doing is drifting and running into a mess. We don't overcome our problems by closing our eyes to our problems. We overcome our problems by focusing our eyes on Jesus. 
He is bigger and stronger. And so I want you to just do this. I want you to think about that issue in your life right now, that thing that causes you to fear right now, that thing that you say is the big dark cloud on the horizon of your life. Whatever that thing is, whatever your personal Cyrus is, the biggest threat you face, the biggest fear you face, the biggest insecurity you face, the biggest point of anxiety that you face, I want you to grab that thing right now in your mind and heart And I want you to say silently in your heart to God, God, you're bigger than, and fill in the blank with that thing. God, you're bigger than, and I'm looking to you today. You want to be liberated from fear? Don't deny your issues, your problems, your pains, your anxieties. Don't don't focus your eyes away from them alone. Focus your eyes on God. God, you're bigger than. And I'm looking to you today. That's true. Listen to me. That's true whether you believe it or not. So believe it and be freed. God, God focuses our attention. He reminds us that he is more powerful than our problems. The second way that God causes us to be released from fear in this text is that he reminds us of the pointlessness of man-made solutions. Look at verses 5 through 7 really quickly. 5 through 7 He says this, the coastlands, verse five, have seen and are afraid. The ends of the earth tremble. They've drawn near and they've come. Everyone helps his neighbor and says to his brother, be strong. The craftsman strengthens the goldsmith and he who smooths with the hammer, him who strikes the anvil, saying of the soldering, it's good. And they strengthen it with nails so that it cannot be moved. Stop right there. Now, this isn't obvious when you read it through the first time. It took me a couple times to read through. And you got to read the rest of the context, the chapters before and after. But what this, this section of Isaiah is doing is it's showing out, it's pointing to how stupid it is to trust in idols. And what he's describing here is the process of making idols. He's saying, here's what the coastlands, here's what everybody else on earth is doing to try and protect themselves from Cyrus. They're making idols. They're coming together as as a community of people. They're saying all kinds of really positive and encouraging things. They're saying to each other, listen, let me help you with this. Let Let me draw this and bring this together. And they're working on an idol. They're making false worshiped gods in the hope that these idols that they can hold up will stand a chance to actually stop Cyrus. And God points out something that I find absolutely hilarious, although it is absolutely terrible when you think about it and tragic. In verse 7, he says this, they strengthen it with nails so that it cannot be moved. What's going on here? Let me just, let me just, Think about this picture. These communities are coming together. They're saying all kinds of encouraging words to each other, trying to help each other out. So you got a community project. Let's just get a coalition of people together. Let's say some really good encouraging things. Hey, man, great job on the head, bro. You did a really good job. Never seen a God's head look better than that, dude. Hey, man, you did a great job on the feet and the legs. That's always hard. Saw he had 12 toes the hard way, but it still looks good, man. Love that. You did a really good job. Hey, bro, you did a great job with the hammer work. Man, I can't do a hammer work like that. You really hammered that guy out. Great. Man, you did awesome with the gold overlay. That's what he says here. Dude, I, I mess gold overlay up, don't you? I always mess gold over. You did great with the gold overlay. So they're all encouraging each other. Let's get a coalition together. Let's work together as a community to solve this problem, say all kinds of really nice flowery things together. They 
they take that idol, here's what seems to happen. They take that idol, they want to attach it to the wall of the city or to the door of the gates of the city to protect them against Cyrus. They attach that God they made and it won't stand up on its own. So he says they fasten it with nails so that it cannot be moved. You know, it's, I mean, it's almost hilarious if it's not so sad. They work so hard to build this God and their God's so weak it can't even stand up on its own. So they have to fasten it with nails to the posts of the city. Hey man, I need another nail. The God keeps falling down. My God, my God isn't strong enough to stand a three mile an hour wind. Give me some more nails so he can beat Cyrus, the greatest military leader on the face of the earth. It's incredible, right? It's mind blowing. And that's the point. It's the same today. All of our world with these man-made solutions, these strategies, this hard work, this community effort, this just say nice things about everybody. That's what we got to do. How about everybody just say nice things about everybody? You're doing great. You're doing well. You're going to be fine. Rah, rah. No. No. God's pointing out the the pointlessness of man-made solutions. And it is the same for us today. Listen to me. Every solution our world is throwing around from politicians in Washington to businessmen on Wall Street and everybody in between, all of the man-made solutions are as pointless in the face of our problems as an idol we would make that can't even keep itself standing upright. Do you hear that? There's a role for hard work, I'm not saying there isn't. There's a role for encouraging words, the Bible's true. There's a role for community involvement. I'm not calling us away from that. But the rest of the Bible is telling us so clearly that if you're battling your fear primarily through hard work and positive speech and community involvement and getting a coalition of people together, everybody having a think tank and coming up with your own ideas, then you are setting yourself up for disaster. Man-made solutions don't fix the problems in our lives. They're not going to fix your marriage. They're not going to save your kids. They're not going to bring peace to your heart or this community. When God calls his people out of fear, he points out the pointlessness of their own man-made solutions. He points them to his power over their problems. And the last thing, he, cu- he calls them, he reminds them of his promises to his people. Look at verses 8 through 10. Here's what he gives us. Instead of man-made solutions, here's what God calls us into. Look at verse 8 through 10. But you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I've chosen, the offspring of Abraham, my friend, you whom I took from the ends of the earth and called from its farthest corner, saying to you, you're my servant. I have chosen you and not cast you off. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. God focuses our attention on these amazing truths about who he is and what he says he'll do. And let me just give them to you quickly. First of all, he says this, I chose you and I will not cast you off. If you're trusting in Jesus Christ as your savior, 
Romans 8 is very clear that you've been chosen by God and adopted into his family and nothing, no, nothing will ever be able to separate you from the love of God that is yours in Jesus Christ. When you're afraid of something, God reminds you as his child, you are mine, I want you, you belong to me and I will never, ever, ever, ever cast you away. You will never be alone. That's what he says. And and that's related to the next thing that he says. He says, I have chosen you. I will not cast you off. I am God and I am with you. I'm with you. Not just present, not just on the scene, not just a spectator in an event. It's more like saying, I am with you, man. You're going into battle. I'm with you. You know what that means, right? That's how he's saying it here. I am with you. He says, I am stronger. Just put this together. I'm stronger than Cyrus. I set Cyrus up. I'll knock Cyrus down. And I am with you and you're mine and I love you and I've chosen you and I want you and I will be with you. Since it's Father's Day, I'll tell you a memory about my dad. Um, And I'll start by just, again, confessing something terrible about me. That's the self-deprecation gift that God's given me. When I was a child, I was deathly afraid of dogs. Like, Tree frog scared of dogs, you know. Uh, I go hysterical, climb a tree, hop on top of a car whenever I saw a dog scared of dogs. That's how afraid I was of dogs. My dad, on the other hand, grew up on a farm. He grew up with all kinds of dogs. He was not afraid of dogs at all. He'd tell me these stories about this bulldog he had as a little kid or some other dog on the farm. I'd sit there just enthralled like, this guy's amazing. He's not even afraid of dogs, man. He's not even afraid of dogs. This guy will do anything. He's crazy. I love my dad. And whenever we would go to somebody's house, inevitably there was this thing that would always come to my mind. And the question was, I wonder if they have a dog. I wonder if that kid would ask me over after church, be, hey man, why don't you come over to the house for lunch after church before evening service? And, I, and somehow in conversation, I'm like, man, that sounds good, man. <laughs> you have a dog? Uh, Inside or outside? Do you chain the thing up? You ever let it off the chain? Is it going to be in the parents' bedroom? Do you lock it up? Was it nice? How big is it? Does it jump? How large does it bark? All this. I mean, I'm asking all these questions. Oh, yeah, we've got a dog. I'm not feeling so well. I'm going to go home. Uh, that's, that's where I was. But there was this one pervasive thought that would cause me to feel okay to feel comfortable. This one thing that would make me, no matter where we were going, and if there was going to be a dog there, my parents knew I was so afraid of dogs. My dad would tell me in the car right now, you need to know the Walland family has a dog. Bum, bum, bum. And I would get to the back of the station wagon and pray for Jesus to come back before we actually arrived. Jesus, please come back. Please come back now. But there was this one thought that absolutely calmed my heart every time. And here was the, here was the thought. Dad will be with me. There's just something about it. that Dad will be with me. As a matter of fact, the, one of the first memories I have as a human being in my entire life, someone was asking me about that or asking our kids about their first or, or oldest memory. One of the earliest things that I can ever remember was being a small, small child. And, and the reason I know that I was small is because what I actually remember, the only vivid scene that I have from that memory is looking at my dad's finger while I was holding it with my hand. You guys remember that when you'd hold your dad's index finger with your hand? And I remember as a child, I can vividly remember looking at that and thinking, that one finger is bigger than my whole hand. That is amazing. How is this man possibly this strong, this big? Dad will be with me. Dad will be with me. Now, that doesn't mean that dad was the only one with me. My brothers would be with me. That didn't bring me any comfort. They were stronger than I was, but they may feed me to the dog as a joke. 
Hey, mom would be with me. She loved me, wouldn't feed me to the dog, but she was as afraid of dogs as I was. She would just outrun me. That's all that mom was there. But dad, dad had the winning combo, man. Dad loved me. He wanted to keep me most of the time. He was strong enough to do something and wasn't one bit afraid of the dogs. So I wasn't afraid. Dad was with me, right? And that's what's going on here. Almighty God has reminded us that he is stronger than every problem we'll ever face. He promises us, I've chosen you. I won't let you go. I will be with you. I will not cast you off. I'm committed for your good. I love you. You're my son and my servant, and I will be with you. So church, do not be afraid. The shootings from Sunday did not change one thing about God. He has not gone anywhere He has not gone anywhere. Your unemployment, your wayward child, your sickness, the death of your loved one has not caused God to go anywhere. He is with you. He is with you. So fear not. Do not be dismayed. And he makes three more promises. He says, I will strengthen you. I'll give you strength. What he's saying there is, I'll do what your dad couldn't do for you. As strong as your dad was, he wasn't able to give his strength to you. But God says, I can. I will make you strong. In the moment that you most need it, I will deliver and give you what you need to face the issues that you're facing. There's no need to borrow from tomorrow's grace. You only get it in the moment that you need it. But God says this, when the storm comes your way, you may not feel strong yet, but I will be there and I will make you strong. He also says, I will help you. I'll come to your aid, not like a friend helping you lift a heavy box, but like an army who comes to rescue you when you're surrounded by the enemy, like a doctor who comes with a cure for your disease. He says, I will help you. I will strengthen you. And then he says this, I will uphold you with my, and notice this phrase, my righteous right hand. God's hand will hold on to you, and he makes a point to say, and my hand is not just strong, my hand is righteous. Do you know what he's saying there? He said, I'm going to hold on to you with a hand that always does what's right. He'll bring you through and he'll bring you through in a way that's always right. When God calls us away from fear, here's what he he does. He tells us the truth. You've really got problems. He doesn't deny it. He doesn't lie to us. He doesn't say it's not as bad as you think. Your addiction's not that strong. Drugs aren't that hard to overcome. Your wayward child doesn't really hate you. Your your job is really gonna come back around. You'll get more money sometime. He doesn't do that. He doesn't lie to us. He doesn't tell us things that aren't true. He says, you've got a real problem. I'm bigger than that problem. I love you. I'm with you. I will uphold you. And here's what I'll do. I will do what what is right even if it's not what you want. Missionaries are martyred. Every believer does not experience physical healing. You might lose your job. You may have a wayward child. But God's promise is this. He will not let you go, and he will do what's right. He'll do what's right. He'll do what's good. You might lose your job, but God will do what's right. You may go through a dark valley, God will do what's right. You might face a very real and hard storm that would blow you over, but God will do what's right and he is with you and will not leave you and will not forsake you. So church, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. He's with you. 
He will help you. He will strengthen you. He will uphold you with his righteous right hand. You are not alone, and he is bigger than all of your problems, so don't be afraid. And here's the question that's been going in my heart as I've been praying for you. What would it look like if we left this room and went into this community and we were a group of people who were absolutely fearless in the midst of a culture that is terrified right now? Can you imagine the difference it would make in your families, fathers, if you entered your home every day and you weren't denying the reality of what's going on in this world, but your wife and your children saw something in you and what it was this, fearlessness. You said, God is with us, kids. He is strong and mighty and good and will do what's right. We have nothing to fear when God is on our side. What difference would it make to your wife to have a husband like that? What difference would it make to your children to have a father like that? What difference would it make to your coworkers to encounter you in your workplace with absolute fearlessness? Not because you thought you were strong, but because you believed God was with you and he had promised you all would be well and all will continue to be well by his grace. Imagine the difference it would make in this community. Imagine the difference it would make in our nation if the people of God would stop rolling up their sleeves with our community members only saying nice things and joining in the building of our idols, idols of materialism and greed and self-sufficiency and self-promotion. And rather than that, we entered our world with kindness and love and service and fearlessness. I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid because of God, because of his work for me in Jesus Christ. What are you afraid of today? What do you fear today? What causes you to be anxious today? It isn't God's will that you would live in fear. It's God's desire that you would know he is stronger than whatever you're facing. He loves you and has chosen you as his child and is with you and will never let you go. He will be with you always and will strengthen you and help you and uphold you with his righteous right hand. He will do what's right. So church, do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed. The Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Wherever you go. Do you receive the word of God today? Do you? Listen. Do you know that that is only true for those who are in Jesus Christ? This is for God's people. Jesus says there is one very legitimate fear. He says, don't fear those who can take your body. He says, you, do, you should fear something, though. Falling in to the hands of God in your sin without having been made right by Jesus. There's one legitimate fear that causes every terror on this earth to pale in comparison, and that is facing eternity without being forgiven through the work of Jesus Christ and standing before God as your judge. And there is only one hope, one hope to be saved from the judgment of God himself, and that is through Jesus Christ. There's only one way we claim this promise to be God's people, and that is as we embrace Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. So this morning, I want us to close with some prayer. It's a time of prayer, of response. Some of you need to come and speak with a pastor about your relationship with God through Jesus Christ. 
You don't know that if you were to die today that you would be saved by the grace of God and spared from the judgment of God over your sin. And I want to invite you to come and pray with one of our pastors. We'll show you more about what it looks like to trust in the work of Jesus. He lived the perfect life that you cannot live and died a sacrificial death that you should have died as a payment for your sin to make you right with God. I want to invite you, if you don't know Christ as your Savior, you have every reason to be afraid. And it's not the enemies of this earth. It's the, the enemy that you've made out of God in the rebellion of your sin. I want to encourage you to come and speak with one of us about your relationship with Christ. Many others of you have been f- just gripped by fear. Whether it's a, a current event or whether it's just the chronic condition of your heart being gripped by fear. And I believe God is calling you to lay hold by faith of the promises of God. And I want to invite you just to come and spend some time praying praying for the things in your life that have had you bound, the anxieties that cause you to be sidelined from the joy God has in your life, the fear and dread that you have facing your future or the uncertainty of your present. So I want to encourage you, bring that to this altar and pray. Ask God to give you grace to be freed from that through faith in his promises. And I also want to encourage us to pray another way, not just for ourselves, but for our community. There is only one hope that America has to be released from the fear of terror and the threats of this life. And it is Jesus and Jesus alone. And church, we are called to take the gospel of Christ into this community, to care, to serve, to love for their well-being, for our neighbor's well-being with the gospel of Jesus. And I want to encourage us to, to pray for our nation, that God would do a work through the gospel that would release people from fear and release them from the false gods of this culture and of this world to be liberated by Jesus. So I'm gonna ask you to join me in standing and let's enter into a time of prayer. I'm gonna ask our pastors to go ahead and come down front and however God has led you, however the Holy Spirit leads you, whether it's praying for our nation, praying for the victims and their families, praying for your neighbors and those that you know are living in chronic fear and anxiety, praying for the things in your life. I want to invite you, let's spend this this next few moments praying to God to do a powerful work in us, a transformational work in us, and a transformational work in our community. These altars are open. We'd love to pray with you however God has led your heart to pray. Let's, Let's go before the Father together.